As I look around this room this morning, I'm just mindful of so many things that are going on in your lives. It's great to have our friends from Carpinteria back in worship with us today. And uh, we felt cut off from you and you from us, perhaps, for the last couple of weeks, few Sundays. And uh, so really, really good to, happy to be back together. And, uh, and just, again, mindful, just so mindful today as I look out upon you and, and as you have interacted in fellowship, just mindful of the number of things happening in our lives and in our community. Um, this isn't in your bulletin, but I, I just wanted you to know this Tuesday, our church is partnering with another uh, church in town to host a, a training for pastors and caregivers, psychologists, counselors, really in, any interested people, and that would just be extended to all of you here, uh, a training in what's known as a community resiliency model. And basically what it's hoping to do, and it's provided by our friends at Fighting Back in Santa Maria Valley, one of my good friends, Edwin Weaver, who's a Nazarene elder as well, and uh, is the executive director there, will be giving this, this training. But Tuesday from, it's a full day, 9 to 4, at New Life Church over on East Alamar, and uh, really just about learning as a community how to how to deal and respond to traumatic events, and we've, of course, experienced that, but not only traumatic one-time events, but how to, how to come alongside people who have dealt with sustained trauma, and so I'm uh, looking really forward to that time. I just wanted to get it out to you. If you're interested at all, you can ask me, and I can get you more details, uh, but we'd love to have you come and be a part, but just some of the different ways that churches and individual people and one of the ways that we're trying just to be a little, little bit of the peace, it's a little piece of trying to bring some, the presence of God and, and his peace into our community in these days. So just wanted you to know about that. We didn't get into the bulletin, but wanted you to be aware. And you can be in prayer. It's interesting. We didn't get the word out and, and get, the, get it finalized until Thursday afternoon, I think. And we put the word out to a lot of pastors, and, and Edwin put it out on some of his different contexts and um, kind of networks. And, and I, I just think that pastors, after about Thursday afternoon, they don't pay much attention to anything else in the world except their sermon that they're trying to prepare for Sunday. So we've only gotten responses from a few pastors, but the psychologists and social workers and other like professional caregivers are signing up in droves. And so I'm hoping we get a few pastors there too. You can, you can pray for the pastors. But uh, it's going to be a, it'll be a good and important time. Let's continue to keep our entire community in, in our prayers. Hey, let's read together from Mark's Gospel. Can we do that? Mark's Gospel, chapter 1. Mark's Gospel, chapter 1. Let's stand together. I'll read for us. Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 21 to 28. It's an amazing story. Get ready. Hold on. You're standing up, but fasten your seatbelts. Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. When the Sabbath day came, he went 
into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Suddenly, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus reprimanded him, Be quiet. Come out of this man, he ordered. At that, the evil spirit screamed through the man into a convulsion and then came out of him. An amazement gripped the audience, and they began to discuss what had happened. <laughs> what sort of new teaching is this? They asked excitedly. It has such authority. Even evil spirits obey his orders. And the news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Some of you may remember a uh, few years ago when one of my professors from college showed up here. Um, I, I had gotten a, a bit of a warning that he was coming, but, uh, but he showed up just as a, it was part of a, a family reunion was meeting nearby, and, and, and he just came as a regular congregant to come and listen to the the service, be a part of the service that day, and uh, it was quite a, quite a day. His name is Reuben Welch. Reuben Welch is in his 90s now, and uh, he's sort of, a, sort of a legend, actually, around the Church of the Nazarene. He was a chaplain down at Point Loma Nazarene University and a professor there, a speaker, written lots of books, and all-around great guy. I had him for some classes in my undergraduate at Point Loma. Then after he retired, he went to the seminary and taught some courses on and off, there, so I had some courses from him as well there, and uh, has just been a great mentor and a great influence in my life. Quite, quite an amazing guy, Reuben Welch. Uh, it just so happened on the day that he showed up that I was in the middle of a series of sermons based on John chapters 13 to 16, some of the last teachings of Jesus to his disciples in the upper room, the last discourses of Jesus. And, and it just so happens that Reuben Welch had literally written a book on the last discourses of Jesus to his disciples. A book which I was leaning on, shall we say, with some dependency in the preparation for my sermons in that little season of, of preaching. And I remember as uh, Dr. Welch showed up that morning uh, introducing him. He was sitting right back here, kind of near where Robin is. I said, Brother Welch, we're really glad to have you. And you know, listed some of his credentials, and I just kind of said, and by the way, you may hear some things that are a little bit familiar this morning, just, just in case I hold up the book. I'm giving full credit to where credit is due, Brother Welch. I, I didn't know, you know, you just, it's weird having a professor sit in one of your worship services. It's like, you feel like he's, you know, grading you the whole time. And so I remember after the service, we were invited to go out to lunch with this family that had come, and Reuben was a part of them. And we got, we got to the restaurant a little bit late, as is typical with our family uh, on Sundays, because we like to stand around and talk to you all. But we got to the restaurant a little bit late, and it was crowded, but Reuben had saved a couple of seats right next to him. Thomas and Katie were on their own, but Kyle and I, he waved over. 
And he, he said, James, you got to sit down. Yeah, we got to talk. And I was like, oh, no, here comes the grade. You know, B minus, you know, what, what, are we, what are we? And he said, I just loved your service this morning. Just loved your worship service. And Reuben was sort of and is sort of known for being a fairly emotional person, easily, easily cries. And his eyes were getting a little bit damp even in that moment. I just, I, I love your service this morning. I was getting ready for him to say something about the music because Reuben also is not known for his love for contemporary music, more of a, a fan of the hymns and the classical organ and these kinds of things. But then, then he actually said, I just loved the music. I, I was floored. And he said, you know what I really loved about it? He said, I loved that your worship team had people with, uh, how do you say it, all colors of hair on the stage. <laughs> You had, you had some younger people and you had some older people. And you had people up there that looked like the people out here. And we were all one together. And I didn't feel like I was being entertained or sort of pushed over on, but, but, uh, but that we were worshiping the Lord together. I said, what? we kind of meant to do that, Reuben. Like, okay, good. I'm glad you noticed. And then he said, but you know what? I really, hey, James, you've got to know the thing that I most appreciate and celebrate about what I experienced this morning in your worship service. I, I'm like, I don't even know what to say, you know, I'm just on the edge of my seat leaning forward and he's getting quieter and he's pulling me closer to him and he said, because I know about things like ecclesiology, I'm an expert in these kinds of things, James, you, you have to know this. I said, I know, and he's joking, but then he said, you know what I really liked about the service is that, is that God was there. God was there. And, and I thought, well, I, I didn't know that, you know, was going to be part of the critique. <laughs> I didn't expect that as a part of our grading system here. And, and he said it again. I just felt like God's presence was in that place. And, and, and I got to tell you, I, I, of course, Aaron prayed that way even this morning. And, and every Every pastor's longing, every Christian who would gather for worship, our, our only hope that we could ever have is that somehow we would sense the dwelling, indwelling presence of God with us and among us in the songs that we sing and the words that we say and the prayers that we offer, that, that there would be some sense of God among us. But it was interestingly and uniquely on that day when Reuben put it into those words that it just drilled down even deeper into my heart. It's like everything that we do, anything that we plan or prepare, or, you know, dedications, all these kinds of things that we might do together in a, in a, in a worship service, if they're not helping to get us to that place of, of, of not, not begging and pleading and somehow, you know, calling on the presence, but recognizing it and facilitating our own awareness of God's presence among us, then, then we've missed the, missed the boat. And, and, and to have Reuben say that was, you know, just a reminder that is there anything more that we could long for as a local church as we gather and worship? That, that we would sense the presence of God. Well, it got me thinking about that story as I read this story from Mark's gospel this, uh, this week. It strikes me, and, and I love it, that, uh, that this scene that we read took place in church. It was in the synagogue. The, Jesus' disciples, four of them at that point, as far as we know, maybe he had some more that were with him, but 
They had gathered, they had come to Capernaum, and they had gone to the synagogue. It was the Sabbath day, and they'd, they'd come to, to worship and, and to, to teach. And uh, we're thinking in these, these days about how, God, how Jesus, in, in this first chapter of Mark in, in, in particular, is, is revealing God to, to the world. We're thinking about, in these days, how God revealed Jesus to the world, but, but also how Jesus reveals God to the world. And we're reminded, I think I maybe have that passage again from Hebrews, we're reminded, and we're, we're standing in line and, and alongside the Hebrew writer who said that, that, that the Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And we're, we're believing that even in this, in this scene, in this story, as Jesus entered into the church, into the synagogue on that Sabbath day, that, that he came radiating the very presence of God. That he came as the exact representation of God. Not, a, not, a, not like a sign of God or, or a, a, you know, like a, just a shadow of God, but as the representation, the flesh and bones version of God in that place. It struck me because I just, I just wondered about people who maybe missed church that day. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I don't want to scare you, but I just don't want to miss church. I just don't want to. I mean, what if you had stayed home from the synagogue on that day? What if you were sick or traveling or, I don't know, watching the Pro Bowl or, you know, something? Who watches the Pro Bowl? I don't even know. But um, I just think if you had stayed home from the synagogue that day and in walks the radiance of the glory of God into that place. That's just what happened. In walks, in walks God himself in the flesh into this place. And it got me thinking about Reuben's comment because, because the people in that day would have been, I can just imagine them after the, after the words that Jesus said, after the, after the exorcism, the healing that takes place in that place, in that, in that service, I can just imagine them as he, as he walks on, they look at each other and say, God was here. God was, was here. God, something was, something was different about that man. They probably talked about it for years to come. It was just another dusty Sabbath in Capernaum. Probably not too unlike the one before and the one before and the one before. And so probably people weren't too concerned about not showing up, those who didn't. Until the people who were there heard this voice coming from the front. They looked up to see a guest speaker. And it was a different voice. It was a, it, it, we don't hear anything from Mark in this passage about the content of Jesus' words, but we we get some sense that whatever it was that he was saying, this preaching most likely about the kingdom of heaven, remember the kingdom of God, that seemed to be his primary sermon in those days. It, it, whatever it was, it was compelling. And his character was compelling. And, and everything about him was, was dynamic and, and, and drawing in that day. He, he wasn't quoting from Moses quite as much or explaining what the other rabbis had to say as much as the other teachers typically did. He spoke like no one the people had ever heard before. He cut right to their hearts. Sometimes I hear somebody say after the service, Pastor, that, I felt like you were preaching that sermon right, right to me. And I look at them and say, I was. No, 
I, <laughs> I wrote that with you in mind. No, no, sometimes. But um, <laughs> if you feel it, it might be true. But here was a day when everyone in the synagogue, everyone, this never happens here, I'm positive of it, but, but when everyone in the synagogue felt like that sermon was just for me, he, I know there were 40 other people in the room or whatever it might have been in that small, it wasn't a big city in Capernaum, just a small, dusty beach town on the Sea of Galilee. But everyone felt like he was talking right to me. There, there was an authority. Did you hear the word? There was an authority in his speaking in his language that caught me like nothing has ever caught me before. And if that wasn't enough, then this evil spirit from within the man, we never, did you notice we don't know really anything about the man other than he's this, this, this carrier of this evil spirit. And he gets convulsed and, you know, then at the end he, he's set free. But we hear about this man who's possessed by this evil spirit and he begins to, this evil spirit begins to shout at this, this, this guest speaker, I mean, what, what rude treatment for the guest speaker. And, and yet he begins to yell at him, Jesus, did you hear it? Jesus of Nazareth. And did you think, like me when I read it, does, can anything good come from Nazareth? And, and, and the, the, the evil spirit knows exactly who he is. I know who you are. Have you come to interfere with us? I love the language that he's used there, the, the translation of the NLT is a good one there. Why are you interfering with us? But actually, it was sort of an idiom in the day, and it's kind of hard to translate. I read this week that, um, well, that's not a bad translation. It could also convey this sense. When the, when, the, when the evil spirit said, you know, why are you interfering with us? He, he also, it could be translated like this. Why are you picking this fight? Why are you picking this fight, Jesus? Or, or even like this, couldn't you have just left things the way they were? Jesus, O Holy One of God. The evil spirit seems to be saying to Jesus, we were doing just fine. At least we were doing just fine before you got here. But now Jesus had showed up. And when the evil spirit begins to identify him to the crowd, he quickly shuts him up and orders him out of the man. And again, as the evil spirit leaves the man, and the man is left in a difficult condition, the church, they don't, it's really, again, they don't rush over to help him. They don't, they're not like, you know, applauding, lifting Jesus up on their shoulders. They're just like, who was that? They're in, they're in awe. They're in disbelief. They're in amazement. And they say, where, where have we, we've never seen a teaching like this. With such authority, I can only imagine again the people there in that moment just looking at each other and saying, I think God, I think God was here. The story from Jesus' early days of ministry reminds us that when God is present, there is an intrusion into the status quo. When God is present, there is, a, there is a, an intrusion, a step, an interference into the status quo, an interference into how things have operated to that point. Things can no longer be the same. There are actually <clears throat> four exorcisms in the Gospel of Mark. 
And we've learned from, in thinking about Mark's gospel, that he doesn't put anything in there that he doesn't think is of great value and significance. It's the shortest of the gospels. It was the earliest one recorded, written down. It's the briefest of them in terms of detail. It's immediate. It's quick. It's get the information out. We don't have time to waste. We need to let the world know about Jesus and who he is and what he's done. We got, but I'm going to slow myself down, Mark says, enough times to tell four exorcism stories. So this idea of Jesus casting out evil spirits seems to be one that was crucial to Mark in explaining some very important things about who Jesus was. And about how he operated in, in, in the world. Whatever else the exorcisms may tell us, and we'll look at a few things perhaps here this morning, but they, 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 need, we, they need to remind us that, that, the, uh, that the opposition to God is far greater than just the sum of, of our human capacity. That, that the opposition to God is cosmic in its scope. So that also needs to remind us that the response to this opposition is also cosmic in its scope. It's big. Jesus is big. Jesus has authority. Jesus demonstrates the authority of God in response to the opposition. That's the key theme that just comes back. The, the passage, if you look at it again there in chapter 1, 21 and 28, uh, especially verses 22 and then again in verse 27, is that word, authority. The, 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 the passage is, is literally surrounded by authority. It's bracketed by this theme of authority. This story about the exorcism is, is inserted right into the midst of these two comments from the groups of people about the authority of Jesus. It's, it's this idea that Jesus is the one who is in authority. From day one, day one here in his public ministry, this authority outshines all of those, any one of those who had held power in the synagogue. It's the main theme. And we see it, first of all, in, his, in the words that he speaks. Again, the, the passage doesn't tell us the content, but right from the beginning, the people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority. The other scribes and the other teachers would have quoted Scripture. They would have quoted the Old Testament, Moses, the prophets, the other, other religious teachers that had come before them. Jesus appears not to have done any of that. Just his teaching was new, and it was from himself, and it was from his own authority. And when he spoke, these people listened. It made me think about back during the fires here in our community, and I think it was 4 o'clock every day where just for a, a few days there at least, I found, wherever I was, I was getting on my phone or in front of my computer or my TV so I could hear the, the daily briefing. Some of you maybe went over to San Marcos High School, and I think they did some of this in the flood as well. But uh, maybe you went and you kind of heard that. And, and I just remember that, that as I would be watching, they'd be bringing different people up to speak and, and give a report. And then they would, then they would announce, like, and now he's going to come up and they'd say his name. And the, like the, the chief, <laughs> the guy in charge of... Our, our, this incident is going to come now and give us a report. And whatever else I was doing, maybe whatever else you were doing, you just kind of turn it all down and you're like, I need to know what this 
person has to say. And sometimes it was the, the, the way that they shared it, but primarily in this moment, it was the content of what they had to share that was so significant. And, and the uniform and the experience and the knowledge and the leadership and all that this person had as they presented made them one who spoke with great authority, right? To everyone who listened. We dialed in, a whole community, a whole city dialed in to listen because they knew that their very lives depended on it. So Jesus here reveals an authority that God has to speak into our lives. I want to suggest that. I want to suggest to us that Jesus reveals here in, his, in the authority that he spoke with to the people, uh, an authority that God the Father has to speak into each of our lives with great authority, that we are ones who, when God speaks, need to be listening well because our very lives depend upon it. God speaks words of guidance and direction and correction but also words of comfort and encouragement and blessing. We need, friends, to be like the people in that synagogue that day when God showed up, to be people who are training ourselves and our minds and our hearts and our lives. We need to be training ourselves to be able to hear the voice of God when he speaks to us, whether that comes to us through Scripture, whether that comes to us through a fellow trusted believer who speaks the ideas and themes of Scripture into our lives, whether that comes through the still small voice even of the Holy Spirit that too builds upon the themes that we find in Scripture into our lives, guiding us and leading us and speaking to us. There are lots of voices that we hear from day to day. Lots of voices clamoring for our attention. And, 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 and the, the voice of culture and the voice of, of, of career and the voice of pleasure the voice of our own self-centeredness, the voice of our own pride, the voice of our self-worth or lack thereof. Each of these voices have their own agendas. Do we understand that? Each of these voices that speak to us have their own agendas as we listen to them, and they have their own prices for us to pay. They make demands of us as well. Each of these voices, do you understand, would love to have ultimate authority in our lives. The voice of culture would love to have ultimate sway in, in how we move and how we operate. The, the voice of pleasure would love to have ultimate say in, in how we live and act throughout our day. The voice of self-worth, good or bad, would love to have authority in our lives because it can just control us like a puppet. These voices love to have authority, but Jesus reveals that only God speaks with ultimate authority. Amazed at his authority. Can we be people who are amazed at the authority of God, only allowing him to tell us what's really real about who we are? I remember when I was a kid, I lived in Idaho. Some of you have heard me tell about that, but uh, one of the things about Idaho when you're growing up is there's no professional sports teams. And, um, I mean, there's none in the state. And so it's like, you're just a vagabond, you know, in terms of sports teams. So uh, finally, Seattle got a baseball team. The Mariners came to be when I was a kid. 
And I remember late at night, well, it's probably like, you know, 8.30, but as a kid, late at night in my room with my radio. And teenagers, you might not appreciate this, but there used to be these radios that you actually had to move like a dial. And you just watched this bar go up and down this way or this way. And there weren't actually no digital numbers. You know, there were no, like, point anything. It was just... So I, I, remember, I remember thinking, I can pro- maybe I can listen to the Mariner game. There was no cable TV either, by the way. So I need to li- maybe I can listen to the Mariner game on the radio. And so I remember, especially early on, just, just scanning, like, the whole, you know, just waiting for the sounds of baseball to come across on that radio. And, and then I remember I would find the, I would find the, the, uh, the radio, the, the baseball radio station. But then I, during the day, I'd shift it back to FM so I could listen to my top 40. And then at night, though, it was back to AM to listen to the game, and I'd have to find it all over again. And between Nampa, Idaho, and Seattle, there were lots of radio stations and lots of the other voices, and I'd have to just carefully dial it, and sometimes it would be, you know, like classical music right next to it, and I mean, no, 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 and then like news or something, no, 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 some of you who've done this before, you kind of remember, you, you know what I'm talking about, and they're just like, and the Mariners score in the bottom of the fifth, yes, I'm here, I made it, and I just sort of think about that a little bit in terms of the, the way that we're listening to voices in the world in which we live. There, it's, just, it's just such a fine line or distinction sometimes between hearing the voice of God and the clamoring voices that are all, all around us, that are just speaking loudly and into our ear. And if we're just off a little bit, we hear that one and we go this way, whereas if we can train ourselves to listen for the voice of God. Allow it to rise up in our lives. Allow it to take hold of our lives. Allow it to have authority in our lives. When we read scripture, to submit our lives to it. Not just to think it's a nice, encouraging word for the day. But to say my life is submitted to what I've read in this, in this, in this book. My life is submitted to the still, small promptings of the Spirit in my life. It's a voice that sounds like unconditional love and a voice that calls us from our sin. It's a voice that sounds like unwavering commitment and it's also a summons to ever deepening discipleship and holiness. It's a voice that sounds like belief and support and it's a voice that tells me the truth. I need to know the truth about who I am and about the world around me. But not only does Jesus speak with authority, he acts with authority. That's what makes this passage so, so significant. It's, it's, it's uh, faith and action. It's doctrine and deed. It's, it's voice, it's words, and it's action. And so Jesus, in response to the cry of the evil spirit, steps into action decisively, not only speaking, but now acting with authority. And I believe that, again, can, this passage can suggest to us that Jesus wants to reveal the glory of a God who wants to act decisively and with authority in our lives as, 
as well. The possession by the evil spirit illustrates the reality of evil. it's, It's far off in many ways to our modern ears, right, to hear this story. For some of us, it's hard to kind of take it in, hard to think about it. But, but at the same time, it sort of gives us a shape. It gives us a, a, like, a like an image, a, a sound of the reality of, of evil. And here in this first skirmish that Jesus has with this evil spirit, he prevails. And, and, it's, and it's beautiful, but, but, but still the unclean and evil spirit protests and, and acts out. Did you notice nobody in the story knew, knew really who Jesus was? Knew really what Jesus was going to do? Knew how he was going to act in that moment except for the evil spirit? I know who you are. Why are you interfering with us? Jesus, the Holy One of God, he knew that he'd come to, to act. He knew that he'd come to, to move. He knew that Jesus' presence meant that he was no longer in charge around here. Remember? Why are you messing everything up? Why do you want to pick this fight? Why are you here? And the evil spirit has this sense very clear in the words that he says that there is no sense of equal ground here. There is no sense of of, of being on par, rivals, but that Jesus and the God that he represented is the one with the greater authority. And I love how Jesus is called out, and he, it's interesting, he he quiets the evil spirit. Did you notice that? And Mark always does this. It's like Jesus doesn't want the the word getting out too early about who he was and what he was doing. So he quiets the evil spirit and just says, get out of there. Get out of him. And then he kind of keeps on, keeps on moving. But right is here Jesus. He's, he's not shying away. He's moving right into the conflict, right to the aid of the human person that lost control of his own life. And here's Jesus acting with authority. Many of us, as we watched the news this week, we were just shocked by the testimony of nearly 160 women in the sentencing phase of the sports doctor in Michigan who had done the work with the Olympic gymnast team and with Michigan State. Uh, I read that 90, nearly 90 had planned to testify. But as they began to testify, others became emboldened and and the judge allowed, again, nearly 160 young women to come and to share their stories of abuse and assault. And uh, interestingly, the judge has drawn some criticism for some of her comments directed at the doctor. But her, her move to allow what she began to call survivor sisters <laughs> to speak in that context is, is a move that will really, some legal experts say, will never be forgotten. It, it will never be forgotten. Many have called it the trial's greatest legacy. I read this quote from the judge. 
She said, I'm not well-liked because I speak out. I don't have many friends, she said, because I speak out. If you ask me a question, you better be ready for the answer. I speak out because I want change, because I don't believe in hiding the truth. I'm not saying that I'm always right, but I try. And the trial concluded with the judge looking the doctor in the eye and telling him that she had just signed his death warrant, sentencing him to 40 to 175 years on top of the 60 that he'd already gotten on other charges. Hey, I, I don't know what you think of that judge. I don't know what you think of that. Kate, I, I know we're heart, heartbroken. The, the horror tragedy of that, if, if you've looked into it at all. Tragic. But whatever the case, here was a person, here was a judge acting in the authority that she had been given to give these abused young women a, a context in which to begin, we pray, to find some healing and to begin to find some hope for the future. And this, I think, is what Jesus is showing us about the heart of God, only on an even grander scale. That the heart of God is to act as Jesus did toward this man possessed by an evil spirit. The heart of God is to act toward those who are broken and hurting, who are caught up by sin and evil, and to act in, in, in such an authoritative way that, that he can begin to create a context in which those kind of people, we kind of people, can begin to find healing and hope for the future. I love this idea of God interfering with evil in the world and in our lives. I actually emailed one of my philosopher friends this week and asked him if that was a, like a philosophical idea. And he said no. And I said, well, it is now. You know, I mean, there's so much talk about about God and evil. Why does evil exist? And we could ask that question. Why did God allow these 160 plus young women to be abused? And, and we could talk about free will and we can talk about, about God allowing us to, to grow even in the midst of our, of our strain in this earthly context. But I love this idea that, that while God may not stop all evil in his in his wisdom, and the brokenness and the fallenness of humanity, while he doesn't stop it, can, can we grab onto the idea that God loves to interfere with evil? I just, I, God, it's like, I want to interfere. Jesus, I just want to get in the way as much as I possibly, much as I possibly can. I want to, I want to begin to create, God says, contexts in which people might find healing. And hope. We long for the day. We long for the day when God will exert his full authority and set everything right. We long for that day when there will be no more tears or pain, where every tear will be wiped away. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more shame. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more of that. We, we long, Maranatha. Lord Jesus, come. We long for and look forward to that day. But until that day, we recognize 
God's ultimate authority even now to stand alongside and to shoulder the load and to to strengthen and to comfort in the midst of evil and suffering, to interfere and to deny it its authority to hold sway of our lives. Recognize God's authority to bring us to a place of healing and hope. Perhaps there are some this morning who just need to be on the receiving end of God's authoritative action. Maybe it's a word that you need to hear him speak, but maybe it's, maybe there are survivors of sexual abuse or assault right here in our room today, praying that God can act with authority to free you of the horror and shame. Perhaps there are those who even still today are caught up in addictive behaviors, Maybe it's alcohol or drugs or food or pornography or exercise or whatever it might be that has control of you even. Fear, perhaps, that has control of you. And I'm praying that God can act with authority to begin to free you and to bring you to a place of healing and of hope. Maybe it's some folks here this morning that are just gripped by a negative mindset and attitude and perception of the world, of the people around you and the situations that you find yourselves in. And we recognize even this morning that they're serving these attitudes, no real purpose other than to keep us locked down and miserable. The gospel story in Mark reveals Jesus' authority. It reveals God's authority over even the most unclean and evil of spirits that continue to take us over. Can we still be amazed by God's authority this morning? And here's Jesus. Here's Jesus picking a fight. He didn't pick it, but he picked it. Here's Jesus picking a fight. He's not backing down. He's not rolling over and just saying, evil, well, just, just going to have its way. Just do your thing. Now, Jesus is exerting God's authority. Jesus is stepping down. I, I, I picture God doing the same thing in the face of evil. And here's the last thing. I, I just think God is, is inviting his people to join him in the interference of evil in the world. There's a word for it. I think we call it justice. And, and there's an invitation that comes out to every one of God's people to be a person of interference. <laughs> to be people who won't back down from the fight, but who will engage it fully. Who will be people when the evil spirits see us coming their way, say, why do you want to pick this fight? Everything was fine before you got here. I want to be that kind of person. I look out around our community and see hurting people and broken people. When I think about this week, as we lead up to the Super Bowl and remember that this is the time when sex trafficking and exploitation reaches its highest peak in its most concentrated geographical region, we want to pray for Minneapolis even this 
very weak. When we hear about kids in our own city not having enough warm clothes or enough food to eat on the weekends, when we hear about another marriage breaking up or another teenager attempting suicide, I, I just want to go into interference mode. God's inviting us with his authority to do just that. Let's, let's stand together, can we? I'll invite our worship team to come. We're going to sing a song about the, the beautiful name of Jesus. <laughs> We're going to sing a song about the wonderful name of Jesus. And about the powerful name of Jesus. And I just want to invite us as we listen to these words, as we sing these words, to sense the authority and the power of Jesus, the very power and authority of God being poured out upon us. Maybe it's a word of authority. Maybe it's even an act of God in this moment to bring you to a place of healing and of hope. Let's allow God, as we sing even, to act with authority in our lives and to call us to be people of action as we respond in faith to him. Let's sing together.